0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Saturday. I know folks are probably just still waking up and getting into the morning. So um, we will uh, we'll try to uh, entertain as many questions as we possibly can. We want to make this more discussion based as opposed to uh, a big lecture or presentation. But we're really excited to have you with us for the second of these two sessions called Calling the Shots with Steve and the Shot. I'm Steve. Uh, I'm Steve Edwards. I am the Chief Content Officer at WBEZ Chicago Public Media and currently filling in as Interim CEO at Chicago Public Media.
1: I'm Nishat Karwa, and I'm Executive Producer of Audio at Vox Media.
0: And the purpose of this session is to really talk about um, the roles that many of you may already inhabit as leaders of teams, as leaders of organizations, as Uh, editors, um, as well as those who have aspirations to do that work um, over the course of your career. Um, That may include leading um, within an existing organization and, and moving through kind of a leadership track. It may also include starting out on your own and um, starting your own studio, starting your own company. And um, what we're gonna do is talk a little bit about our own backgrounds, interview each other for a bit, put some ideas in play, and then we will open it up to you for your questions about um, current and future leadership ambitions and current and future leadership challenges.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and um, as Steve said, we'll do Conversation between us first. We'll open it up for a bigger discussion. Um, And, you know, we recognize that uh, there are lots of people in our rapidly evolving industry who are, as Steve said, starting their own companies. And that in doing that, it really involves the two kind of just sort of distinct categories of leadership we're talking about today. We'll be talking about, um, from our own experience, being a leader as a you know, executive producer, showrunner on a production, um, and also uh, being an organizational leader and manager um, within an organization. And it would be great, especially for those of you who are starting your own thing, um, to be part of the conversation that we have afterward about the unique challenges of of blending those two inherently in your in your roles.
0: And, and our hope is that there's actual mutual learning going on because yeah. I think both Nishad and I believe that you know leadership is a process and it's a, a continuing evolution of you know your own work as leaders as you continue to um, try to improve your ability to um, support and guide others in organizations. So we hope that as we impart a few um, experiences and successes and mistakes that we'll have a chance to hear um, some of the same from you. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. And uh, really, I think the the place to begin is really by getting a sense of of the career journey. So for you, what was the path that ultimately led to uh, a leadership sort of pipeline for you? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Well, I am lucky that almost from the very beginning, maybe after the first stage of my career, um, I was already being exposed to what leadership roles could look like in the various organizations that I was part of. and just to quickly go through, um, I started out in commercial radio, and so I was the producer of a public affairs show inside um, a hip hop radio station in the Bay Area. Um, The show was called Street Knowledge with Davey D, who's a preeminent hip hop journalist, who is executive producer and host. I was the line producer, and I went from there to um, being a writer and editor at a local CBS News Radio affiliate. So writing and editing stories, producing the newscast, and then when I graduated, I um, went over to Youth Radio. It's now YR Media, but for the time that I was there, it's called Youth Radio. And it is a um, long standing youth driven community organization and also an independent production company that. Serves as NPR's youth desk, and um, and has a bunch of other clients that it distributes productions to in commercial and public radio. I didn't grow up uh, around public radio, listening to it, understanding it, or doing you know hearing narrative audio journalism. So youth radio was really my first exposure to that. And when I arrived there, it was it was as a producer um, for a very limited time, and then the person who was running the newsroom at that time, running the whole operation, um, Rebecca Martin went on maternity leave and there was a brief external search for somebody to take over while she was out and then uh, they decided to elevate me to news director and I was, you know, I would just gotten out of college as, Uh, a super senior. So I was like in my mid 20s. And that was your first leadership. And that was my first leadership role. So I was really thrust into it in a way. I mean, I think they recognized probably in me, this is an organization that was built upon um, the belief that young people can and should lead um, in, in a bunch of different capacities. And so that Obviously, the, the same thing that we applied to our young um, participants was applied to the staff. And so I think that they were looking for ways to um, allow younger people to take a leadership role in the organization. And so I was pushed into I mean, they were basically like, can you do this? And I was like, sure, let's try it. Um, and then, And then when I got into the role, I recognized that I really, it wasn't just the kind of leading the newsroom that I was interested in, although creating systems for the newsroom was really fun and doing assignments and figuring out our news coverage was really uh, energizing, but equally energizing was thinking about the overall organizational evolution and the mission of the place and our place in the larger industry. So I cycled through a bunch of roles there. Uh, I went from news director to senior producer to um, launching a digital endeavor that we did called Turnstile. Um, And at that point, I made a brief detour into thinking about um, digital evolution in public media. I went from there to lead Marketplace's digital team for a couple years um, and then came back into audio as the executive producer of Audio at Vox Media.
0: During those first years as a leader, what was the most difficult aspect of making the transition from... A practitioner to a leader of of others?
1: Yeah, I think that, I mean, at that time and in this unique milieu of this organization, one of the challenges was something that I think we're going to talk about later, which was finding the place, finding the, the distinction between being a friend to the people that I was working with and being a manager because I was still young at that time. I was pretty close in age to some of the people that were later in later stages as, of the program as participants. And also at the time, we were getting new Uh, funding to do things like start an international desk. So we had National Geographic funding to send young people around the world and um, report on kind of emergent economies. And I I still qualified as a young person at the time. And so they sent me to be a reporter in Afghanistan and in India. So it was balancing. And so that actually required um, balancing, you know, where, in what Parts of my role, am I responsible for finding opportunities and growing opportunities for other people and the entire organization? And as I learn to become a manager and take leadership, what things do I still need to learn as I learn how to do narrative audio journalism that will make me a better journalist and make me capable of passing on these skills? So I think both the kind of friend and colleague distinction, which we'll get into, but also Understanding, um, feeding my own learning, and then and then understanding the pace at which to. I was like an authority who was able to pass that along. Youth Radio has a really unique model that um, my former colleague and friend Lissa Soap, has theorized as collegial pedagogy, which is that essentially the learning is happening through the production and and both of the component. So that relationship, the young person and the adult producer are both learning and producing together and and they can't happen unless you're in that relationship together. And so that really helped with what I'm describing um, in terms of figuring out my place as a leader inside the organization.
0: That's great, that's great. Um, As you have... Evolved. You mentioned that you had an opportunity to do some reporting and also some leading. I think one of the things that I've struggled with at points in my career, and and others may experience this as well, is um, that tension that exists within me and perhaps within some of you about how much do I actually still want to be making things, Mm -hmm. telling stories, reporting, and then how much actually... Do I want to be leading a team? Can I balance both? How do I do both? Um, am I ready to just do one and not the other? How have you thought about that for you? And what tension do you feel, if any, in your own sense of, of, of that arc?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is... The hardest—that's been the hardest part for for, me—about moving into more of a kind of a purely management role. Um, I've been lucky that for a long time in my career, um, the making of things was inherent to my daily work, Uh, and and I was at organizations that um, because either the salary scale looked different from kind of other parts of the industry or for other reasons, there was place for negotiation around that stuff. So it was like I really have a passion to, you know, every day feel like I've looked at someone's script and tried to make it better. Like if that was a th- that was like a carve-out that I wanted and I talked about in every review I had um, as my role evolved, the conversation was always around like how can I hold on to that that. Hold on to some having some tape in my life every day, mm. um, and then and then in other roles um, as I gained more seniority and sort of was more crucially involved in the strategic development of an organization, it just became less feasible to have that, and so it didn't even make sense really for me to advocate for that beyond just knowing that I had to be in the productions in order to help grow what we were doing, um, and so so it so, became
0: more. Less about your ability to actually shape something individually, and much more about your ability to help others shape their work, and that yes. part of this collective. That's yeah.
1: absolutely right. And one of the, and and so it's been a sacrifice to give some of the creative involvement up, but an, a way that I a framework that I used to think about that and what I've gained is um, I think it's about a shift in our perspective from the the primary audience that we're serving in a way. You know, I still at Vox Media um, am involved on a regular basis with a lot of shows. My fingerprints are on a lot of things that that go out the door, but not everything. It would be impossible with more than two hundred shows. And so, um, so in terms of the shift in in thinking about the audience, I think it's about thinking about external versus internal audience. So when you're a reporter, producer, host your daily focus is usually creating stories for public consumption, your audience is external. And then when you shift to certain stages of management and leadership, your audience really, your primary audience is internal, and so you shift from being an author of stories to an auteur of culture, is how I kind of think about it. And so, you know, as a storyteller, you're bringing your background, your biases, your training, your experience to bear on those stories that you're creating. Um, as an author of culture, you're still bringing all of these multiple streams of influence, your background, your training, the mentors that you've had and what they've taught you, um, the dysfunctional environments that you've been a part of and wish you could intervene on. You're bringing all those streams of influence to creating the culture that's going to underpin and inform the stories that are being yeah. made out of your shop. And I think that's a really important canvas for Creativity and innovation, and it's different than than creating those stories, um, but but it but it is the foundation for those stories. Um, I was hoping that you could talk about uh, you, some of the places in your career where you've kind of blended that production role and and started to move into a leadership role. Would you say that that started when you were the host of Eight Forty Eight?
0: I mean, I think that um, in some respects. So my my career arc uh, included some of the same things. So I have, um, you know, I interned at NPR and I uh, reported for a community radio station. I did um, reporting and news anchoring for a couple commercial um, news radio stations as well. Um, worked at Bloomberg for a time and then moved into public media fully, which is where I always wanted to be. And um, in, in the host role that you mentioned, I worked for about 10 years hosting a daily magazine program here in Chicago and um, You know, I think that there is an aspect of leadership that is not necessarily conferred in title or in authority, but is really around the sort of um, soft power as as diplomats and, and other um, theories of, of leadership would talk about, which is how, how are you in a position of influence, internally and externally, trying to create, I like what you phrased, sort of a culture and being an auteur of culture. And I think you know many of us, um, hopefully nobody's perpetrating this, but many of us um, have witnessed or heard stories about host zillas, people who sort of lord their ego and uh, all of, of, of their, um, you know, sort of of arrogance over um, teams. And there are actually really, you know, serious examples I think we can all point to where those environments become uh, dangerous and toxic. Um, And even when they aren't um, dangerous and toxic, they can just be unpleasant and unhealthy for people. And so I, I did spend a lot of time thinking about Um, how could I in my role help create a dynamic where we were one team or we were collaborative and yes, everybody had their role and at the end of the day, you know, my role was to be at the the point of the arrow presenting the work. Um, but that what I also needed to do in practice was to roll up my sleeves get my hands dirty um, uh, work on tape work on scripts work on booking work on the research and 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 show that we were all one team and to create space also for others at times to sort of you know be at the point of the arrow to the extent that that projects or the show allowed and I think that the the what what that ended up doing was um, something really, really profound for me, more perhaps even than from my colleagues, and that is, um, it created space for for a, a level of trust to form around the team, where that I actually was growing in profound ways, not just as a leader, but actually as a host, where we had a relationship where people could call each other on things, and people trusted each other enough that when an idea was pitched, um, that I might be unfamiliar with, or I might not be all that comfortable with. Maybe I had insecurity about that topic, or um, having you know interviewed somebody uh, before that was being proposed again. You know, some anxiety about going back in that direction because perhaps the first time it didn't go that well. Um, what what ultimately happened was um, on our best days and our best stretches, there were there were opportunities for. Um, Must have a level of trust where I trusted you with the idea, and I'm gonna go with you on that. I may not know what you're talking about, you may be the expert on it, and I'm gonna come with you, and together we're gonna go on this journey. And at the end of the day, my responsibility is to do everything I possibly can to um, shape a story for that external audience. Mm -hmm. Um, in a way that's powerful and I would learn about your passion and I would learn about your expertise and new worlds were open to me, new topics, new communities, new, you know, I I like to think that, you know, that that my graduate schooling happened in that environment um, because of the team dynamic. And so I use that as an example to say that no matter what your role is, there is an opportunity for you to play a leadership role and to help create conditions where there is um, a stronger team dynamic, more of a cohesive culture, and that's something you can do right now. You can do that tomorrow in your engagement with your colleagues. By um, you know, there's a phrase in in improvisation, uh, improvisational comedy circles, around uh, known as you know yes and that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, and I think that. Um, just as a, as a sidebar, I think that, you know, for those of us on either side of the kind of story approval process, there um, can be tension between um, you know, upholding the, 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 the journalistic standards, the standards of quality, and also um, nurturing that kind of adventure, that creative adventure, and that sort of empowerment and process of discovery that I think draws all of us into the field to begin with. And the extent that, that editors in the room can without losing you know the the adherence to, to deadlines and to qualities and all of the important frameworks that are essential to doing um, high quality work but and can bring a yes and idea so you bring me an idea and I might not understand it um, but I will ask you questions about it. And oh, well that, you mean like this, or what if we did it that way? Mm -hmm. And it becomes a dialogue that, where we're both learning, and I can perhaps help a younger colleague who may not have all of the seasoning that a veteran reporter might have, sort of strengthen the idea um, without killing the idea. Um, I might in turn also be opened up to the possibility of of an angle, a topic, an idea that I had never considered before. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are things that that, um, really, have stayed with me from that first experience.
1: Was there a time on that show where you essentially took a risk on what you felt like some a risky idea that someone had? Um and, and Daily. Daily. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So well if a specific example comes to mind, that'd be great. Um, but what I'm kind of leading to in a broader sense is maybe hearing you talk more about as a leader, finding the balance of vulnerability and yeah. authority that works yeah. for you and inspires confidence in your team and keeps your team on the sort of course you've set out, especially in a daily news environment where yeah. you're pressing against those daily deadlines and, and trying to deliver against yeah. them.
0: Um, a couple quick things to, to say, because that's that evokes a couple things in my mind. First of all, I think for a lot of us, um, we are working in environments where um, it might feel like a sprint in a daily news context, but actually, from a team dynamic standpoint, you're you're actually running a marathon. And it's about making sure that that everybody on the team um, has enough gas left in the tank so that they can play again tomorrow, um, even in a daily environment. And so um, that that's one important framework, I think, to keep in mind that, that your job. And even if you're not in a leadership role, the thing that you can help contribute to your team is that that sense of over time, are we actually um, improving the work and getting toward our goal? Today might not have hit the mark in the way that we want, but tomorrow we've got another shot. And do we have enough um, coherence and collaboration and um, and esprit de corps to do that? Second is I think a lot of leaders um, when they're in their first leadership role, and I I certainly um, was this way, um, are insecure. And we think that what we need to do is we have to have the answer to everything and that leadership is about um, deciding and driving and dictating. And um, I think that the most important thing I've learned about leadership, and I'm still learning, is that ultimately what you are doing is... is, um, tapping into the wisdom and facilitating the excellence of of others. Yes, that means that what you need to do is is be clear about expectations. You certainly have to hold folks accountable. You have to have um, an overall sense of the framework. You have to define the sandbox to a certain degree. Um, But great wisdom, great ideas can come from others. And one of the things that we talked about in our last session that I'll just make passing reference to is I think the the skills that, that fundamentally live within all of us as as producers, as journalists, as editors, are actually great skills as leaders and we shouldn't lose those skills. Um, we should actually front load and emphasize those skills in leadership capacities. And what I mean by skills are two things, um, active listening and active questioning. And that our ability as leaders to ask good questions is one of the biggest superpowers that we can bring to bear and asking good questions about what's working, what's not working and from a project standpoint, but also asking questions about how people are doing, what are they challenged by, what are their dreams, what are their goals, what are their fears. Um, When you have your direct reports, asking questions to really um, evoke a sense of deeper understanding on your part um, so it's about knowledge acquisition. It's about relationship building, and then the second thing is listening attentively um, and being present with people, you know, um, so that you can and on what's both being said and what's not being said. Um, the emotional intelligence cues for somebody may not be speaking up, but you can tell they're ground down, um, and being attentive to that, where you can go and check in on somebody. So I don't know if I answered your question, but those are a couple of things yeah. that came to mind.
1: I think yeah. so. I think. Um, People in the room, so you're hearing us talk about this kind of transition that we both have made at different points in our career. And um, you know, you might be thinking about the kind of things that you have to give up or sacrifice to kind of transition from a creative role into a more management or organization leading role and and wondering, well, like how do I know or how do I test this? Um, and I and I do think, there are some litmus tests for whether this is for you, whether a leadership pathway that is kind of more solidly in the management column um, is for you. And uh, I have a couple of my own, I'm sure Steve has some. I talked to a couple of people going into this panel about Uh, who are leading organizations or departments um, or businesses about kind of how they knew and how they took their own litmus tests. Um, One person I talked to is Martina Castro, who's the CEO of Donde Media. And um, I really liked this thing that she said that I've definitely experienced as well. Um, Similar to what I was saying about finding the creativity and articulating systems. Um, She said, one thing that made me feel confident as a leader is developing the ability to see the gaps. Um, She said, if you recognize the gaps and you see the opportunity to fix them, you're a leader. So that's starting to, you know, a lot of us can be Monday morning quarterbacks would come in and like we've seen a project executed and we're like, that was ridiculous, there was way <laughs> too many people on the production end, we needed more editors, this is like, we came in way after deadline, how did this happen? And you know, that's, and, and some people, many of friends of mine who identify as creatives wanna come in and have that moment to kind of gripe and then leave it at that and then go on to the next project that they're assigned to. And then I think what Martina's describing is coming in and seeing the ways in which the system around that project um, didn't work and thinking, I actually have some suggestions, I have some feedback, I'd like to try this out, I might have arranged the staffing this way. I think if you start to look at systems and see puzzles that you wanna solve, that is an indication that you might, uh, a leadership path might be interesting for you to explore. Um, Another person, Rebecca Martin from Youth Radio, who I will probably cite a lot in this this, uh, workshop, said in just a very simple way, one way that she kind of tests this out with people is if a project, if an opportunity comes up to do a stretch project that kind of pushes you, um, maybe you have to put in more hours than you're used to to do it. Maybe not. Maybe it's something you can accommodate within your regular schedule or your supervisor can carve out some time for you to do on the side. But it stretches some skill set that you have an inkling you might be good at, but you're not quite sure. And it's maybe not the most, it's not the Project that creatively drives your passions, but it does add value to some to a sort of larger team goal or mission. That the trying that might be a way to just you know test whether taking on leadership of something inside the larger group's um, work is. is is for you um and then and then the way that i've uh, also seen people kind of test this out and learn very quickly what aspects they're interested in and Martinez spoke to this as well she said she said if you're a freelancer um just try taking on one person that you can manage hire one person for a limited project limited amount of time and see what it feels like to have to manage that person inside this creative work um a friend of mine who is an artist and very committed to our his artistic practice, we were talking about this, and and I said, well, what are the aspects as you just try to sift through the things that excite you about the project as you're going through? What are the moments that you dread? And what are the things that you really get excited about if you were gonna put those in two columns? if everything that's administrative, and not just administrative, but again, thinking about the framework and the structure and how your project fits within the larger industry and um, sort of whether you're interested in systemic change or really you're focused on this work that you want to make, that might be some indicate. And he was like, all of that sounds just like appalling. Like, I don't want to even think about that. I just want to make this story that really matters to me Um, and work with administrators in the organizations that I'm feeding my work to to figure out the like bureaucratic and administrative elements. And, and so I think that is another sort of litmus test, is just having a side hustle yeah. and figuring out what within that side hustle you're drawn to. And it might be a mix. I mean, I think we've both had a mix in our careers and there are plenty of people, again, who are blending this work all the time. But if you really like the kind of systemic aspects of it, then that might mean that a leadership path could be interesting for
0: yeah, you. Yeah, and the one thing I would add to that too is I think that um, that, that there are different leadership um Context obviously, you can you can be you know an editor of a small team or an executive producer of a small team. You can run a whole organization. You can run a large organization, small organization, and trying to be in tune with yourself about the scale of the work and the nature of the work um, is really really important. Um, in in just knowing yourself and that, I would also say the other thing about knowing yourself is one key element. I think at least for me has been um, that that evolution from deriving real meaning and satisfaction um, less from the individual work that I'm myself producing in a a reporting or or creative context and deriving deep satisfaction from the work that others do um, and the growth that others exhibit. And I think that that's a fundamental um, distinction And, and it gets back to something we were talking about before which is Uh, You know, I I had an opportunity early on to I'd done this show that Nishat was referring to earlier for about 10 years. I went on a fellowship program and was going to come back to the show. But the show is also and anybody who's done a daily show knows how sort of all consuming they can be and I'd done it for more than a decade and I was I was also a little crispy a little burnt out on the show and the fellowship sort of helped me see that and I there was a need for on a temporary basis to fill in as program director for what was supposed to be six months it ended up being a year and a half and I really had um Uh, It was a great learning experience, but I also, in some respects, wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready as a a leader um, in terms of just having the skills and understanding to be most effective, but also in my own mind and where I was in my career arc. Because, um, you know, I had that moment, and some of you may have experienced this, where you are, you know, you're just in meetings all day, you're staring at spreadsheets, and you look out, you know, and there, you know, beyond the room are all of your colleagues doing the very things that you got into this profession to do in the first place? And the stark contrast between sort of me poring over budget documents or whatever, you know, policy matters yeah. or things and... The you know the the kind of challenge and creative joy that comes from doing something was really really stark for me, and um, so I actually had the opportunity to return to the newsroom and. Um, and, and, and needed to, I think, for, for my own um, kind of development on both sides, frankly, of that, of that equation. And then later on, um, you know, as I moved more into leadership roles, I think I gained more and more skills, but also a deeper sense of satisfaction around. Uh, you know, yesterday I was saying to the team, you know, coming over here, I was listening to our uh, new daily talk show, and they had this amazing segment on. It was just, you know, in a two-hour show, the last segment on a Friday was um, a group of guests around the table talking about the best place in Chicago to have a fried chicken sandwich, and they were talking about, how many of you have a Popeye's chicken sandwich? Anybody know about the Popeye's chicken? Are you a fan of the Popeye's chicken sandwich? Big fan. I mean, there are people who are traveling for miles to try this new Popeyes chicken sandwich and cannot have it. It's a big, you know, uh, meme elsewhere and in Chicago. And it was just this great conversation. People were calling in. It was, it was fun. It was human. It was authentic. It was in the moment. It was great. And you know, I had just the biggest grin on my face. Just you know, not only as a listener enjoying this, but also just the 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 satisfaction that comes from this is a team of people of producers and hosts and editors who have been put together and are really, you know, making moments of magic. And um, through a long process of planning the show, we're just a couple of weeks into it, seeing a moment like that come alive, and there have been many in the first few weeks of the show, was just deeply, deeply satisfying. And so I think one question for you to ask on your journey is, is the degree to which you derive real, a real charge out of that, or how much do you want to be also making that?
1: Um, and I remain a proponent to that point um, of side hustles for yourself on the other side, not as yep. a test, but just like to give you a creative space that isn't tied up with the work that you have to do every day as part of your job. So for me... Um, It used to be that my side hustle uh, outside of Youth Radio was working at this news station, so I don't know how much of a pleasurable (laughs) side hustle that was. But it let me, like, flex some skills that I wanted to get outside of narrative audio journalism. I still was, like, a big news junkie. I liked the adrenaline of going in and doing, like, breaking local, you know, like fires and if it bleeds it leaves which was like not a great philosophy for news generally but at that time I was like this is exciting Um, and it charged me up and I added to my skill set by doing something outside of my nine-to-five but I don't have the time to have two jobs anymore nor the energy and so thankfully I'm not doing that anymore but um, instead I've transmuted some of that creative desire into a newsletter that I do that used to be weekly. As things have grown at Vox Media, it's now like monthly, but it's still a place for me to have conversations with yeah. interesting people in the world. It's a place to kind of exercise my journalistic skills. It's a place for me to learn from other people yeah. um, who are our are, are leaders in other sectors that I'm really yeah. impressed by and informed by. Um, and so... Of course, that is more time and energy that you're spending to cultivate that space, but it can help offset the kind of loss or the the transition that you're making inside the work setting as less potentially of a creative and more of a kind of yeah. manager of the institution.
0: And me, because of my background um, and experience hosting and interviewing, I still get asked on occasion to, you know, do live events, interviews, yeah. and things like that. And you know, it's not my twenty four seven existence. Yeah. But it's enough to scratch that creative itch and to and to stay in Absolutely. play. And um, you know, if I had any criticism with, sort of the way I've structured my work now, is that I actually wish I could spend more time closer to the people who tell stories and make things. Whether yeah. um, it's sitting in on a group edit or it's yeah. just you know, in an initial brainstorm. Not that they need me there because they are more than capable of doing great great work. Um, but that's nourishing for me in in the way that you were just describing. Um, We want to take your questions because we've talked at each other and you for a bit.
2: Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for this workshop. It's uh, really, really amazing. Um, I am a producer on a daily current affairs talk show. Um, uh, Yeah, my condolences. One one hour, Monday through Fridays, um, out of Baltimore, Maryland. I guess my question is about mentorship. You talk a lot about your relationships with your colleagues and sort of how you cultivate those relationships, uh, be it in a professional or or a personal space, not having a mentor. um, I find myself um, in a situation now where a lot of the interns that I work with you know, once they've moved on, they still keep in touch with me and they want me to edit work and, and read work and, you know, can you help me out with my website and this, that and the other things. So I'm sort of just feeling like around in the dark. So if you just have anything to share with us about the role mentorship played in your ascent to leadership and and how you, you approach that, that'd be really helpful.
1: Um, yeah, this is like an area that I'm super passionate about. So thank you for asking. Um, so in terms of my own mentors, I think that, oh, I was really lucky that I, from the time that I was in college, um, I was actually in a print journalism program, and I think a majority of my professors were people of color who were working in the industry at the time in the Bay Area, and so by osmosis, I had people who were already doing a lot of work, thinking about and kind of shaping um, Frameworks that were really important to me in thinking about our relationship to journalism as a whole. Um, they were all participating in, at that time, much more uh, active ethnic journalism organizations. Um, this is in the Bay Area, not nationally. Uh, and And they were doing a lot of writing and teaching around those issues. It was completely integrated. And so that shaped a lot of my thinking about what was important to me as a journalist and then also eventually as a leader of an organization. So that's just been something that I've always brought along with me is thinking about um, racial diversity in the industry, how we create access, the pipeline and how we grow it, um, what it means to kind of be a minority in a larger newsroom, all that kind of stuff. So I was really, um, I benefited from that and then coming into, and then as a mentor myself, coming into youth radio, of course, the organization is built on the kind of collegial pedagogy that I talked about. And so one of the greatest things about that work was even when we were doing longer term projects and not daily news delivery, I could walk away every day knowing that I had had some kind of transformative exchange with a person that I was working with. and you know, that's like such a blessing. I mean, I just feel like it's, um, that is something I've tried to build into my career moving forward. But it was like, a it's a really special place. And, and I haven't seen it in every newsroom I've worked in that you get to have that. Um, but I think it did inform leaving there where it wasn't natural to the kind of some of the shops I went to after that. Um, it's informed my desire to carve out a space again for that that thing that nourishes me, which is talking to people who are in a different stage of their careers, understanding the challenges that they're going through um, and trying to impart some of what I've experienced and also using their experiences to inform what I do as a boss myself and the kind of experiences I try to create for my employees. Um, And there are tons of opportunities to, to seek out those spaces, but then there's also being inundated by requests. And so I do, in my mentorship, uh, try to, I commit to some big things. So every year I'm the, um, I've been really lucky that Third Coast keeps bringing me back as the um, mentor for the Ragdale residency. So that's like a big commitment. It takes a week of my year. Um, And then so other things kind of tier under that. And I try to just think of having different tiers of commitment that I can do because So there are the young people that came up under me at Youth Radio, and I have individual relationships with them, and I'm talking to them about their careers on a constant basis. And then I get all of the kind of scattered requests, and I've had to really um, just be firm for myself about what I can and can't give um, to sort of like the couple of tears down people that want advice and help. And so I've tried different things. I tried having a sort of open office hours, except it wasn't the virtual office of like I'd have one or two times a month that I would talk to people who weren't in those first two tiers of mentorship um, and kept it at that and when those spaces ran out. Having a structure around it really helps me so that I can say, I, you know, like I hate, like I hate to be um, limited in like what I can give, but I am. And so like I have these two slots they're gone. And like, can we talk about doing it next month if people are asking me to look at their site or to look at the resume? Um, And of course, there's exceptions to that. But I find that putting a structure around it, articulating that structure, some people put it on their website or put it, you know, in at the bottom of their, they have a special email that's designated for those requests. And they put it at the bottom of that email, what their schedule is, I'm not that organized. But it's in my mind. And I find just like having that um, as a kind of canned response that is also true to my experience is really helpful. And then the thing about just my own mentorship, going back to what I learned um, while I was at San Francisco State, I had all these mentors by osmosis. I was sort of steeped in talking and thinking about mentorship and collegial pedagogy at Youth Radio. And it wasn't until I left there or was thinking about leaving there that I thought, I haven't really cultivated my own mentors. And And that was where suddenly there was like so much more literature about how women and women of color can start to do that um, actively. And so I did start to look for people who fulfilled or could teach me something outside of my own experience and then just cold calling people outside my industry, inside my industry. And of course, I was like kicking myself once I started doing it for not having done it earlier because it was so helpful you know a lot of it i discarded but a lot of it was really helpful in thinking about moving to these different levels in my career and hearing how other people had done it and and just asking for the same thing i was being asked which was like can you talk to me once a month for 15 minutes on a weeknight evening about this and, and asking them what they needed to mentor me. So like, should we do an assignment? Do you, and, and one person gave me assignments every time that I was supposed to come and think about before I talked to her and a question. Um, for other people, it was just a more open conversation. Yeah. Steve, have you had? Um,
0: yeah, well, I would just uh, very quickly on this. Uh, first of all, it's a, a tremendous testament to you yeah. and your qualities as, as a leader and a, a natural mentor that you have so many young people still staying in touch with you after their engagement, and that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I would say just um, there. there's nothing, I think that the, every single person in this room has the opportunity um, to profoundly and positively impact the cre- career trajectory of one individual yeah. um, by being a mentor. Um, and I think many of us, certainly I, benefited tremendously from advice and counsel from people at multiple points in my career, including now. And um, I, there is, I think I can say this um, accurately, um, there is, anytime any uh, young person um, is looking f- for advice or I'm introduced to somebody who wants to talk for an informational interview, I... I think 100% of the time, if not like 98% of the time, I say yes. Um, because it's about paying forward and paying back. And what you can do with 15 minutes of your time, 30 minutes of a time on a phone call just to sort of share some perspective, some ideas, you know, beyond even the deep relationships that I think are also so profound and um, that I derive so much from on, on either side can be really, really transformational. So if if you're not actively mentoring someone or others now, please, please, please um, b- bring that into your your skill set, bring that into your thought. Um, process, and it's not like, hey, I want to be your mentor. But you know, if you're working around interns or here um, at at this conference, um, if there's if you've met somebody and they want to reach out to you, yes, yes, yes. It's about paying it forward, um, and it's so important to enrich you know the diversity of our profession, to um, enrich the skill sets of our profession, and um, and ultimately, I think, to enrich yourself in the process. Hi. Um, So, I'm wondering if you could both speak to the tension of uh, starting out in leadership and simultaneously having to manage down and manage up, and sometimes convey some messages from the top that the people at the bottom who you want to advocate for, who you want to cheerlead, don't want to hear, and simultaneously the tension of trying to do that advocacy and that cheerleading to a boss who may not want to hear it. I don't have a surefire answer to your your question, other than to identify with it in different contexts. That um, um, and and I think your question um, can be read in two respects. One is you've got a challenging supervisory relationship potentially, and those exist. Um, it's also the case you could have a great supervisory relationship, but you're just not on the same page about that particular matter or about a particular kind of thing. And I think the most important thing um, in both directions is to look for those moments to um, be um, honest about what it is that's important to you and what is important um, to the project that you're working on and why. And to look to be creating those pathways for communication um, that are apart from a specific decision-making situation. Um, Inclusive of that, certainly. But to the extent that you can be communicating with your supervisor, you know, here's what I think is really important, here's why I think, here's my philosophy about growing the people on this team. Here's my thinking about what I'd like to do, um, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes one of the most effective, um, and then there are two other practical tips. I think um, most leaders prefer... Um, that if you are bringing them a problem, not all, that you are also bringing them a potential solution. So that's one thing to just to, to bear in mind. The other thing is there are some times when um, a leader needs time just to process things and the first thing that is you know, coming to you and the first sort of reflexive instinct is anxiety around that, either because it's not in the budget or it's a new thing or it's a change. And the extent that actually you can, if you know that might be the case, um, to build in time f- to, to, to essentially, you know, um, you know, know, break in the, the idea with your supervisor. So you're not looking to get a decision from that first conversation. You're looking to introduce an idea. You're looking to introduce a conversation. And, and it may be subtle and casual, it's a breadcrumb. And then you come back and you. Uh, there's another natural occasion to go a little bit deeper. Um, those kinds of things can be helpful. I found that um, uh, over time, if people have some time to process and understand and reflect on themselves, you know, they may come to you before you get to them that third time saying, hey, I've come up with a great idea. <laughs> and yeah. it's exactly the thing that you had planted back in their head. Mm-hmm. So those are three things that I think are useful to keep in mind, but there's no surefire answer. I mean, part of the magic of this and the challenge of it is, right, people are people. And, and each interaction is driven by an alchemy that's hard to replicate in every situation.
1: Yeah, I agree 110% with everything Steve said, Um, and for me, um, specifically thinking about kind of transparency and directness is really important in all of my interactions managing up or down. So Transparency when managing down is a very complex thing because you want, of course, to inspire confidence, you want people to feel good about the work that they're doing, and you also don't want um, to pull punches and you want them to know what the kind of risks and challenges are for the for you as the manager of the overall team and organization um, and where they fit into that. So as much as possible, I try to do that um, with the entire group. Sometimes that happens in individual conversations, but everybody's getting the same information. So, um, last year, for example, or it's this year. Hello, um, Vox Media acquired uh, Epic, which is a long-form storytelling company, and there was a lot of excitement, as there should be, about how the podcast team is going to work with them on, you know, potentially creating narrative audio productions. And, you know, there's always uncertainty when there's a big change in an organization like that. Where do we fit into it? And so we kind of had multiple conversations as a company um, and then as a studios business, which podcasting sits under. And then my team talked about, you know, what are the implications for us? and, And I think probably the initial thing was maybe managing the excitement of, like, who's gonna to get to do what? And it was just too early to say. And so we had a group conversation, and then in every kind of individual, I'm pretty sure that in every individual conversation I had after that, there was additional talk with my direct reports about like, what might this mean for your role? Um, it's too early to say is a perfectly legitimate answer, but in some cases it gave us a place for imagination and to tease out their aspirations and kind of where I saw our partnership with Epic going. Um, so I think transparency and directness and giving people a sense of the overall benchmarks and goals and mission and where they fit into it is really important. Um, and and then also giving them a sense of how you are talking about them when you manage up um, to the extent that it is appropriate. And so when I'm managing up. So I'm inside a company that is a digital media publisher, started a podcast business just three years ago. It's growing quickly, but a lot of it is new. And I'm coming in with a public media mentality um, and, and lots of work on long form narrative reporting. And this is a place that mostly had been doing interview and conversation shows. So there's some merging of cultures, just with me running the the business, the department, the programming. So um, some of what I do in managing up is I'm talking about individual employees with, my, with our president, but I'm really giving him context about kind of how I see the industry. And, and as Steve said, it's just like starting to build that and sort of managing up in stages. So we're always talking about the state of our business. And then I'm also saying to him, and you know what, as we, go into more narrative productions this is the ways that the work on our team is going to need to shift this is what's happening you know if you look at somewhere that's doing this on a constant basis this is why these kinds of producers are gravitate towards this kind of company this is what we need to build in order to make this a place that's attractive to the kind of producers that can do the work that we want to do and so just like giving him a context that matches the things that are his priorities and his ambitions for our business and linking that to the context on our team is important. And then then I'm setting up for You know, when we're coming to quarterly reviews and I'm saying, I really want to give this person a different title to lean into what they're great at and what they're interested in. And this is why it's going to benefit us six months from now or like with the plan that we have for 2020. So that sort of
0: just... Well, one other tactical thing that occurred to me in your example, Um, if you don't currently have a weekly or bi-weekly one-on-one set up with the people who report to you um, and the people or person to whom you report, um, you should initiate that. Because um, the the sort of supervisor who's seen but not necessarily in exchange with you makes it really difficult to have the kinds of conversations we're talking about, so.
3: Hi, Uh, thanks so much for this talk. I'm finding it extremely helpful. I have a problem that I don't know if whether you two face this, but it's it's just an unfortunate thing where I really um, want to be liked, and it gets in my way a lot of the times, and it prevents me from having clear thinking and being careful. And like similar to that, I want everybody to be one hundred percent happy all of the time, and all the time I'm making. Um, Poor choices because of it. I think and I'm wondering if you have specific examples of times when you've come up against that and how you've handled it
1: when you're not as involved in the production trenches. Um, another thing that you're maybe giving up is that camaraderie that you have as a member of the team, who's like grinding it out, pulling the all-nighters, celebrating, you know, with the beer afterwards, and um, and stepping that back from that, and and again creating a space for me to be an authority, but also to help guide people and see the whole picture and not be right there side by side with them was really difficult, um, both because I want to be liked and because the nature of our relationships was much more one of like a colleague in solidarity with the daily work that they were doing. Um, And and that's been hard, but also um, what I've realized about, about that transition is it's still it's it's crucial to my role to build strong relationships with the people that report to me, but the shades of those relationships are just different. So I still, um, I cited this book yesterday that I think is like a really great management book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Somebody else in the audience has read that, it's amazing. But um, she basically um, has these different quadrants of how you can be, um, bring your whole self to work, which is I think a Google-ism. Um, but also but also, Really valuable to think about how you kind of bring be the best manager you can be to people and she talks about care personally and uh, challenge directly being the two sides of the two of that parts of that quadrant um, and so the shift for me is that Thinking about how you still care personally um, so you can still be asking questions about a person's life and understanding their full selves and everything that it takes for them to do the best work they can do Um, but it is different than that friend relationship Um, and I had an experience of this um, at youth radio kind of early on where We encourage people moving from participant to junior staff to then like full staff. And there's someone like that that I've actually continued working with um, now at Vox Media. They work with me as a freelancer. And our relationship has gone through so many permutations over the years. Um, At one point, I've been both a mentor to him and then a boss, and, and both at the same time. And I think what was really difficult and what I had to learn about that care personally was as a friend um, again we were in the trenches together and we did like each other and you know loved each other I would say he's like a little brother to me and then as uh, I became a supervisor and he had a a crucial role inside our newsroom um, I had to learn to separate the things that I cared about personally in his life outside of work and not inherently be making accommodations for all of the kind of things that were happening in his life outside of work and making adjustments in his work life. So I had to really um, let him come to me and say, for instance, uh, my music career is growing. I'm having a hard time making it to work at nine o'clock when you need me. Um, So I need an accommodation for that rather than being his champion who was like, oh my God, you've got this dope gig five nights in a row and you've showed up at 10 o'clock every day when we've had studio rentals in the morning and you're not there for what I need for you at work. And and so first I had to just create the distance of not making assumptions about what he needed and could accomplish, but really just setting the boundaries and the requirements that I needed him for at work. And then when he crossed those boundaries or kind of tested me, I had to have the remove to say um, it's not that I don't care what's happening in the rest of your life, but it's your responsibility to tell me why you're not able to do what I need you to do at work, and then we can work together to think about it. But I can't be doing the work of creating those accommodations for you, and it just it was just it was a switch for both of us, and it was hard um, and it was painful because he felt that I wasn't supporting him, and I think I was what I was trying to learn to do was to support. My my role was to support him in his capacity, in the work that we did together, and help him understand how his role affected the entire workplace, the team, again, the goals of the newsroom, um, and weren't just about him as an individual. And so I think that that is a shift that's important to make and articulate and say, this is how I care about you beyond work. This is why. And then these are the things that as a manager I really have to focus on for our team. So a lot of it was just like talking yeah. through all of those nuances um and being transparent about the things that were that were challenging for me. And I've said to people, I say to people all the time, like, uh let me take you through something similar that happened. I mean, I've had somebody um be consistently late as a studio engineer, and this is kind of similar to the example. This happens a lot now, come to think of it. But um, but it, but it is because of things that are happening in their life outside of work, and I have come to a place where I feel comfortable um, and I think this is is a way to be liked, and just to like show that I'm human is like to, I've been through it too. Like I was working two jobs for 10 years after college, and it made me you know tired and irritable in different ways. And and I and I pushed the boundaries too. And here's what I did, and what I want you to think about is and, and that's you can't you can't do that here inside this team. And so what I want you to think about is is this like a career path for you? Is it like just a job? And that's fine, whichever one it is, but like, I want you to think about that because that's the decision I had to make when I was in your role. Think about that. Come back to me. Let's have a discussion about it. And and then we'll go from there about the impact this is going to have on your role inside this team. So it is just like, again, putting it back on that person and, and trying to empathize and trying to kind of share what I've gone through, but also not taking on the responsibility of, thinking through what that is gonna look like.
0: I would just add two things um, in addition to underscoring radical candor. One is um, to acknowledge I think that the feelings that you have are very, very common and I think many other people were nodding along and recognizing that, that it's a natural human instinct to want to be liked and to want others to be happy. That's a good thing, that reflects well on you. But I would encourage you in a leadership role to shift your focus from that to respect. Um, I think a lot of us have worked with people who are really, really nice, but that doesn't mean they're really effective. Um, It doesn't mean that actually everybody on the team is getting what they need. Um, And um, uh, respect sort of encompasses, uh, I would hope, um, kindness and thoughtfulness, but it also... Um, uh, encompasses integrity and it comes with you know transparency and candor and, and things of that nature. So that's, that's one way to sort of shift. And the second thing, to just um, go back to something I referenced in passing, uh, often in, in difficult conversations um, with really any colleague, but in particular one where there is um, uh, a relationship that like Nishat was talking about, um, one of the best things that you can do is to do more listening, less talking. And do more questioning. Um, oftentimes, when people come to us as as leaders, they um, aren't always coming to us with a request. It may start out that way, but what they're what they're looking for is to just for some understanding. They're looking to get something off their. They just want to be heard. They want to be. Um, and sometimes, as leaders, particularly those of us who want to be seen as liked and too nice, can sort of just overdo it and respond initially in a way that's not necessary um, and sort of sitting in the moment being you know, open to listening and, and questioning and, and, um, and in difficult conversations where there's an accountability conversation, often um, uh, saying to somebody if something, you know, let's say a good colleague, somebody that you like, something bad has happened, begin that conversation um, with a question So what happened? Why did that happen? What would you do differently next time? Those kinds of tools can um, be actually valuable in multiple respects. And one of the ways in which they're most valuable when they work, and they don't always, is that the person on the other end of that question um, has an opportunity to share contextually what happened, but also an opportunity to own and be part of the solution. Mm And you're not having, in that moment, to be a bad cop, per se. You're actually a facilitator for wisdom and course correction that's necessary. And there's a way of holding people to account that allows them to be part of the problem solving going forward. So.
2: Hi, um, uh, I know you previously talked about managing up, but um, I wanted to talk about managing up in the sense of when your direct report has to hold you accountable. And if you can share um, uh, an experience where your direct reports had to hold you accountable, where you probably um, dropped the ball at some point, and then how you, um, how you guys, what, what was that interaction like, um, and how you handled that as a leader that's supposed to be this role model, um, what's been a successful a time where you know you had to be managed up and it went well um, and then when's a time where you kind of like failed at that and and learned from that
1: that's really good
0: I should say just to forgive me for interrupting yeah. I have um, several current and uh, former team members here including some current and former direct reports so we'll just turn the microphone over to them <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can we do that first?
0: They can. Uh, they can <laughs> tell you all the dirty laundry of all of my many failings, which happen on a daily basis. Um, I think that that uh, you know the, they can correct the record on this. I would just simply say that um, to err is to be human, and. Um, I think to be an effective leader is also to be human. So, um, by the transitive property, there it means to lead is to uh, also be making errors. Um, it's uh, it's about owning up to it um, when it's happened. And I also think that um, you know leaders who are supervisors who are you know defensive end up in those moments um, actually not just creating barriers in that exchange, but they create actually a barrier that endures so that the next time somebody has something that they feel that they need to bring to you, to your attention, they're maybe a little uneasy about that. And I think what you ultimately, what I'm trying to do, and I don't always um, uh, succeed in is I'm trying to create an open line of communication where we can talk respectfully and openly and where I'm actually learning things, um, including the things that uh, I'm not doing well. And one thing that um, I think leaders can ask, and I don't do this enough, but um, even in when it's not in a context of a problem, but just to say, what else do you need from me? Uh, where can I support you better? Where am I um, failing to support the work of your team? Those kinds of questions can, in the absence of a, of, a, of a problem, can actually evoke a really healthy conversation that's, that's useful on both sides.
1: Um, yeah, I think uh, actually somewhere where I've um, needed to be managed up is in the area that I was talking about earlier, which is transparency. So I've had, you know, I've, I've often, a lot of the roles that I've had are about sort of being inside a rapidly evolving business and sort of keep continuing to kind of move the goalpost. Um, and that's sort of the managing up of like figuring out what growth looks like and how we achieve it and sort of managing down and figuring out how the team drives toward those goals. And and somewhere in between, um, what I haven't done enough of at various times is to share that information with who needs to know it, because we're moving really quickly. And I'm, at the time, I was thinking, well, I want to let the team kind of like be in the work that they love to do, not have to worry about the state of the business, not have to kind of take on the anxieties that I may have around delivering what I have to do on my job. And then there were other sort of smaller components of that that also weren't being shared. And that had to do more with, company news, and things that were happening, sort of staff and personnel changes that I knew about and couldn't share, but then maybe even when I knew about and could share, didn't because I thought it wasn't pertinent to the, my team members who are on a different team than, than the people who might be cycling out. And and in a bunch of different ways, this started to surface to me, and um, and somebody said, one of my direct reports, uh, a senior person said to me, essentially that I was hoarding information, not in those words. Um, and, you know, I had to go through that process of like, oh, okay, fair. Like, why am I doing it? Am I doing it? Why am I doing it? Um, am I, is it really protecting the team from things that they don't need to be let in on? Or like, what do I need to take from the, the signal that he's giving me, which is that they want to be let in on a lot more mm. than I'm currently doing? And then, and then I also had to go back to my... Initial resistance to it and think okay. There is a context for a lot of this that I have the reasons that I'm not sharing that information as early um, That I don't need to legislate with him like there's a lot that he doesn't know about why Um, But I need to take that feedback and try to apply it in every one of these examples and figure out what were my real motivations and and along this as this was happening there had been a point at which my team had just started to like organize their own meetings that were sort of team wide and i was like what are you guys doing like i don't and it was a daily thing and i was like i really don't think that everybody needs to spend a half hour every morning talking about what they're doing each day like that's crazy to me like what let's just get to it and then i realized through that conversation and these meetings that had sprung up ad hoc that people were looking for something that they weren't getting from the team and from me and so it sort of taking all of these streams of feedback um, you know, I feel like I course corrected. And part of that was um, identifying, okay, there, there is information that should be shared with my senior team, then, and I should be communicating clearly to them, this is what the rest of the team needs to know right now. This is what they may need to know about this issue, like in a week or so. And this is what, you know, you should feel free to share. This is what's optional. And this is why. It was first just like, Improving the communication with just that the people right below me and then also like people were craving more time as a team who was working across such disparate projects to be together and so that I had to build a space for that and but instead of doing what I felt like it was the excessive daily meeting we now do much more structured um production team meeting that is in addition to kind of a larger meeting that is all of the podcast network um, This is the Vox media um, and and that I think has satisfied some of that need And so now they don't have to do it on their own and it's much more framed within kind of I, I can be a part of framing that and like framing what gets discussed there and and how they input into the agenda of that and in Being in conversation about like what their needs are around communication
3: Hi um, I'm a, my name is John Asante. I'm a, the managing producer for Neon Hunt Media, a podcast production company based in L.A. And I'm a fairly new manager. Um, and I'm still... I'm, thank you so much for all those tips on how to balance the, the creative with your you know, leadership skills and managing. Um, I want to get better at the managing part for sure. And I'm wondering what sort of resources have helped y'all out um, outside of the workplace, outside of the newsroom, in order to help lead your teams, whether it's like something you read... Maybe a fellowship you did, maybe a class you took, because I really want to be better at that. Yeah, um, and I know it's gonna take time.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Outside of, I think the thing that's been most helpful to me um, has being involved. Being involved in, um, I was part of the ONA Pointer Digital Women's Leadership Program, and that was super helpful. It was all, you know, women who. It used to be a merged program. Now it's actually separate, and ONA and Pointer do its their own. Um, One is more focused on digital leadership inside um, transitioning and legacy newsrooms and the other is more focused on just like an executive leadership pathway but that um, both the both being there and the kinds of the programming that they did but really just the after the community after that like the text threads and the like safe space of knowing that these are all women who are at similar stages of their career and and trying to figure out management and having that like group brain to tap into has been super helpful to me. Um, that's like probably number one. I do, I do read some management books, but I also try to talk to other people in the industry. So just developing my own small cohorts with, there's a group of women that I talk to who are very focused on the challenges of being the arbiter of what shows are developed. Like it's super specific to this one management challenge. And that's actually helpful too. Like the pointer ONA thing is women across journalism um, and then, and then there's this very like small group of three women who are doing show development and who are in an ongoing conversation about that. So cultivating that has been really helpful yeah. for me.
0: Um, those are great. I would just add a couple of quick things. Um, and and by way of background, saying I think that as a profession, um, media writ large, um, journalism as a subset, does a really poor job, frankly, of nurturing and cultivating leaders, um, and it's deeply, deeply problematic. And Um, Part of the issue I think is because most shops no matter how large or small are sort of staffed to whatever deliverable they've identified and so you're sort of running at max and as soon as you know somebody, um, it's not like there's extra personnel waiting around to be part of a management training program. Um, and people are also just focused so much on delivering the thing that, you know, I, I sort of describe that, we're, you know, to people who don't work in our fields, it's, a, it's sort of like being in finals week perpetually, when you're <laughs> sort of, you know what I mean, when you're just trying to get a deadline, and and so the blinders come on and the world sort of melts away, and one of the downsides of that is that, that Um, both as individuals aspiring to take on leadership roles, but also in particular as managers and supervisors, we're not having enough conversations about um, one's future development. We're not looking around and identifying enough. So for those of you that have an interest in leadership, you you will, um, do not wait for others to ask. You will, I encourage everybody, um, with their supervisors, with others, to not be shy. At whether they're, you know, it's an informal conversation, whether it's during a performance review time, to say that you're looking for more opportunities to lead. That ultimately yeah. you see yourself on this trajectory. That's a helpful thing for people to know. Supervisors, in turn, asking the same question. Too much of those of our of our project conversations, or even our <laughs> performance review conversations, are all narrowly focused on the thing. That we make, and we don't carve out enough time to say, Where, where do you want to be in five or ten years? What, what would be your ideal gig? Where do you see things going? So that's one thing. I think the second thing is um, for those of you who are in leadership roles or not, the other aspect of sort of self advocacy is. Um, taking it upon yourself to look for those resources. I think Nishat identified several great ones. For those in the public media space, there's a new initiative out of Arizona State University's Cronkite School of Journalism funded by the CPB that's taking um, uh, editors at all levels of the pipeline and in a cohort-based way, giving them immersive training um, uh, on-site in Arizona twice with a mentor over time and and cohort work. It spans about six months. It's a great program. It is free to participate in. and I think even the travel there is free. There are programs like that, Pointer, um, Joe Geisler at Loyola, who's terrific and and somebody that people love and admire, deservedly so. Um, I talk to other leaders all the time. I'm how do you manage your time? What are you doing? So, you know, be be a reporter on that beat, too. Be a reporter on your own beat um, as a leader. That's what I'd leave you with. So. Uh, hi there Um, I wonder since both of you do have experience in public media and sort of perhaps experience with a pattern that at least I've noticed in my own career in public media where we tend to advance folks to positions that maybe they're not totally equipped to have that position um, how do I as a non-manager person interact with managerial staff who like maybe don't have the same the the correct tools to manage people (laughs) (laughs)
1: Good one. Light it up.
0: <laughs> you want to start? anyone in particular.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no subtweets here. Um, that is a gnarly one. Um, so as the person outside of the management structure, how do you encourage the upper management tier to see that the people who have been placed in management positions might not be
0: ready? Well, both that and also just like ways to help those people in the management positions be better at yeah. learning helping them figure out what I need from yep. them yep. Well, I other think other people who aren't me.
1: Yeah, I mean, sort of my immediate response is exactly what you just said, which is um, telling them what you need. And so, you know, I think it's always like, as Steve said, so much of management is about your relationships with people. And in all our relationships with people, people want to feel... Needed and uh, respected, and and they also and want to feel like they have something to offer, and so I think the framing is really important, and and also honesty and directness is also really important, and so um, I think the empathy we bring to colleagues in saying, I know this is new for you, um, and it's like a big leap, um, and as we go through this transition. I selfishly, I'm thinking about, or not even selfishly, but I'm thinking about what I need um, as an employee and a team member. And um, what I would really like to get from you is X or like over time, I'd love to develop this and ask you for these resources. And, and I think, you know, and those things can be hard to ask for, but when there's organizational change like that, it is, it's a natural moment to ask for something like that. It's like, we're all going through this change, um, I know that you may not. You're thinking about what you're going to do in the organization. If you could consider this as you make this transition yourself, that would be great. Is one approach that I've <laughs> that I've that I both participated in and witnessed. And you know, it's it's uh, it makes takes you being vulnerable, obviously, to ask for that. And it's a little bit risky because you're kind of putting that person on notice too. That like I'm watching how you're doing this and what it's going to mean for me. But I think it is a great opportunity for openness.
0: Yeah, I, I would just add a couple of quick points to everything that Nishat just said. Um, the first is, I think, uh, and w- there's a larger riff that we can do on this um, as we go forward, but I think putting on your skills in some respects as um, a reporter or producer, as a journalist fundamentally, can be useful in this context. Um, we have a riff on this as it relates to the leadership, but we can invert the same... Um, for the dilemma that you're you're facing, and that is um, actually saying, you know, where can I be most helpful to you? Asking that of your supervisor, how's it going? Um, what do you need more of? What do you need less of? Um, oftentimes, that opens up a conversation where um, not only will you learn something about where you can be most effective to the team, you may get some insight about about that. Um, it might also open up space for a conversation that's actually a little bit more um, revealing and, and vulnerable about the challenges that um, that particular person is facing. I will say as a system, a public media in particular, but I think it's, as I mentioned before, um, endemic to journalism and, and to a lot of media organizations. You know, Historically, we have sort of operated at the threshold um by uh, which we have determined kind of maximum output. that is to say, you know, it, theoretically the supply of stories is infinite, but the number of folks you have to actually do the work is always going to be finite. And no matter if you have a newsroom of a thousand people like The New York Times or you've got a team of two, you're sort of um, mostly working at capacity. So the minute, uh, someone leaves or someone's promoted to a new role, it's often because they were good at doing the thing um, without any regard for whether they actually are good at leading people. And those two things are different. They're not always the same. Just because you're an outstanding producer doesn't mean you're going to be an outstanding executive producer, and, and vi- or because you're a great reporter doesn't mean you're going to be a great editor. So part of what we have to do, I think, is create a leadership culture within the system writ large that starts actually Um, teaching and cultivating those kinds of skills. The last thing I'll say is that a lot of folks at first-time leaders um, are insecure because they know in their heart of hearts that this is is new for them, and so they're nervous about this. Um, We tend, as first-time leaders, to spend more time thinking that what I need to be doing is directing, and so we spend a lot more time talking than listening. Um, We also, because we're, in most cases, probably pretty adept practitioners, pretty good doers, pretty good players spend more time doing and playing because it's what we know, and we're not always attentive to what the rest of the team needs. So the extent to which you can also go to um, you know, your, your supervisor and, and be a, a helpful voice, say, hey, you know, I noticed that so-and-so over here seems like they're struggling. You know, so it's less about you and less about them, but it's making them aware of something would be useful.
3: Hi, uh, my question relates to one of the things that you talked about earlier, which is um, sort of giving up on the creativity and finding something else rewarding. And just like a a very brief explanation of of my background is that I'm not involved in the public radio system. I come from Finland, and we set up a small production company a couple of years back. And talking to other friends who are working in the creative industries, they told me that like that's the first, you know, that's the first compromise you gotta make. You gotta face the fact that you won't be able to get your hands dirty working on stuff. And and I think that I we've sort of managed that. But um, the question that I'm wondering about is related to internal and external motivation. So basically, as a journalist, let's say that you, you know, you report on a story and you know that it's good, but the numbers are bad. But you sort of can, you know, you can still feel satisfaction in that. Uh, in a leadership role, it's got to be a bit tougher. First of all, your projects are marshier, like it's hard to know when they're finished. And also like, even if you're satisfied in the process but the numbers are bad, then how can you sort of justify that to yourself and the others? So like how do you balance um, just somehow finding some uh, creative enjoyment in these processes that you can't really manage yourself and you can't just you know say that, well, I don't care that, nobody heard it because it was so good
1: hmm that's a great question. Um, oh, want to speak to go people. ahead. No, no, you do um, Well, one thing I was, I was, I mean, I think- Marketing You get to take Powers, all the questions, by the way. <laughs> uh, um, talked about this last night in her provocation about sort of appreciating the value of making bad work, and I thought that so many aspects of that were really great, which I won't repeat here, which everyone should go listen to on Pocket Conference. Uh, so there is like enjoyment in the process of making something, uh, whatever the outcome. For me, I also try to think about all of the stakeholders um, that are involved, and of course, that should include the audience. And I think um, certainly in radio, I experienced for many years that you're just making something and pushing it out onto the existing airwaves, and the audience is going to take it no matter what in podcasting. The, there's a power um, differential there and you're getting metrics back immediately to validate what you've done um, and if they're disappointing then you start to question the value of that work um, and the resources that you put into it um, and so so in my position I do have to think about monetization um, and uh, but I also have to think about the satisfaction of the team um, in making things that they love and enjoy. And so I think of it on multiple levels. Um, One is that the audience are important stakeholders. And so we both have to create material that they're going to enjoy and listen to that we can monetize. But there also has to be room for experimentation. and, And I think podcasting allows you lots of different structures to do that. This morning I was talking to somebody about the model that The the Ringer uses to have basically, I think it's Channel 33 is their feed where it's just like a lab and they're throwing a bunch of programming in there that they're testing out shows that soon often launch into their own feeds, but they have that brand value where their listeners who love them come to that feed and will take anything they put there. And I think that can be a really interesting model for some shops. We haven't done it. We've certainly thought about it. But it gives you a space to play that's less high stakes. So it's just like finding, you know, there are always stakeholders, multiple stakeholders, internal and external. Um, So how do you both create value for them, but also kind of give yourself a place where the stakes are lower, so it's a spectrum. And then just in terms of thinking about the team, um, I do think it's important for, um, on our teams, people work on a variety of formats, uh, a variety of projects, some that they might be on for six months, some that they might be on for a month, some that are kind of permanent third of their role, and that changes often for everyone on the team, which is really dynamic and fun way to work for some people, and others you know, would prefer a different kind of a a cadence, um, so I try to really make people aware of that when they're coming into our team. And also, again, as I'm thinking about their roles, uh, look constantly for ways that people can experiment and um, and have creative flexibility, even if it means it's like for a week, or you know they're working on a pitch, they're evaluating something, they're putting together an idea, um, and trying to, again, look at the months, the quarter, and the year, to find way, It's like a puzzle. So finding ways that um, somebody more senior gets to do something creatively stimulating for a time because they're going to go to a really hard project in yeah. six months. And we're not always, obviously, all free to do that. It can be a luxury, but um, but that, I think, lets people get that space to try things that aren't necessarily validated in the market. Yeah.
0: And I would just say very quickly that um, I think that one of the great rewards for leaders is um, the broad category of growth and development, but that can be measured in many, many different ways. So there, there's audience growth and there's business growth, but there is the kind of personal growth, there's what we learn from an experience, there's watching somebody actually develop into an outstanding performer in a different way, giving somebody an opportunity to try something different. So um, if, you, if you keep a broad definition, even in the moments of failure, of what growth and development can look like, um, that can be sustaining and rewarding.
2: Hi guys, thanks for doing this. Great to hear about your paths and how you got here. Uh, Two questions that came up just as you guys were talking. You talked about meetings and how terrible they are. I'm wondering if you have any tips that you've developed over the years for how to make meetings suck less. And uh, the second question would just be, um, in the roles that you're in now, I imagine that you have people, sort of either your deputies or who help you in your jobs and what are the things that they do that are most helpful and the opposite least helpful?
1: That's a great question. Um, One quick thing for meetings that we started uh, actually back at Youth Radio that I find to be really fun and a great cheat for me to still feel like I have tape in my life all the time is um, playing tape at meetings from outside our company. So just using a portion of the meetings to have fun and do critique and listen to what people are making outside of our industry and let that be a place for creative conversation between producers, um, you know, a place to tap into your colleagues, Ingenuity and intelligence, um, and also just not to be so focused on your own deadlines, um, and that can be like ten. At Youth Radio, we used to do like a ten-minute um, round robin at the beginning of a once-weekly meeting, um, and at Vox Media, we try to do that once a month. It doesn't always happen, but but it's great when it can. Um, and then in terms of our deputies, the things that they do that are most useful and that are least useful. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to toss that to you while I think about that. Yeah. There's so many. I mean, it's
0: vast. Well, um, yeah, I don't, um, it's interesting to sort of think about. I hadn't thought about it in quite that way, but it's a great question. I would say that, first of all, um, you know, the, the members of the leadership team on my team are essential um, in um, making sure that not only are all of the kind of measures of growth and development that I alluded to happening in in all measures, because and across the organization, you, there's only one of you. You can't be everywhere. So, how are you actually trying to help evangelize um, the strategy, the mission, the ethos? And and they're the folks that oftentimes are putting that into practice in tangible ways. Um, Uh, being aware of their brilliance and I think they're oftentimes part of insecurity in leadership is feeling like you have to have all the answers as the person in the proverbial corner office however large or small that organization may be Um, and both in yourself but also in others um, trying to instill a sense of getting the wisdom from the everywhere in the organization that you can Um, so what I'm trying to do is is as much as possible sort of push authority and autonomy down through the organization so that I don't become a bottleneck, I don't sort of disempower people, Um, and where they feel like they have the opportunity to, um, at every level of leadership, make decisions that can tangibly help the operation of uh, whatever project it is they're working on. And that may be something from deciding, you know, I need to get a freelancer on this and knowing that they've got the budget to do it and they have visibility into what that budget line is. And they make the decision, do they want to spend this money this way or that way, as opposed to sort of trying to run all the way up through a large organization, little things like that. I gather my direct reports um, on a weekly basis, both for one-on-ones and a group meeting, to try and and get the feedback and input from them so I can understand what are the challenges they're facing or that their teams are facing. So those are a few things there. Uh.
1: Yeah, um, I guess I'd add that all of Steve's stuff is great. Um, I'd add that one of the most helpful things that my senior leaders do is I think they're they're hearing on a ground level um, much more of the like about the disgruntlement that might be happening or the ways that a project doesn't seem to be working right away. Um, You know that feedback is not always coming up to me because I'm setting the goals up here and I think people are driving forward towards that stuff and in the day-to-day work they might be talking to that Next senior leadership tier about the challenges, and so I think just being a conduit for that stuff is the most helpful, and knowing what to surface, yeah. um, and when, and 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 knowing kind of how to reflect back to the people bringing um, bringing that feedback. Well, this is how we're going to move forward, or just so you know, like, I surfaced this to Nishad and, like, this is the way that we're going to try to approach it. So I think just being that filter is super important and helpful. Um, And then maybe least helpful is as that person who is the first line of defense, um, I need them to stay positive. Um, But to to make sure that people people know that that the staff can come to them and that they're the right person for that and that they'll be making determinations about what we kind of share and work on collectively but also that there's a level of remove that i think they have to have from getting down into the negativity and just like going there and and being a site for complaint that then doesn't do anything productive with that complaint um
0: yeah i would concur (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, that's really important yeah
1: hi um
3: so another pattern that i've noticed in um kind of our industry, is that oftentimes in order to get to a leadership position, you have to leave your organization, leave your geographic area. And for those of us who are not in a position to, at a minimum, leave our geographic areas, how do you create leadership opportunities where you are or demonstrate to leaders in your own organization that you're ready for that next step?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Steve, you want to go? Yeah, I would just –
0: this isn't the the answer that works – in every situation or at scale, but I would say that too often um, the existing leadership and existing um, team members and personnel aren't having the conversation about what your future Uh goals and wishes are. Um, Even during sort of the proverbial, you know, annual or semi-annual performance review (laughs) conversation, we tend to be talking about, did we hit goals and did it... And I think it's really, really important for leaders to be asking, apart from all that, what do you want to be doing in five years? Yeah. Where would you like your career to go? What makes you happiest? Um, and, um, and when you don't have that question posed to you, actually using moments to say, hey, you know, I've really been thinking, um, I love what I'm doing now, but I really want to have opportunities to do X, Y, and Z, because ultimately I think I'd want to do that. Um, One of two things will happen. One, you'll sort of see light bulbs sort of go off in the supervisor's eyes. Oh, my gosh, that's great. Um, Because maybe they weren't thinking about it, and now they are, and they can be invested in your development and looking for opportunities. I will say, as embarrassing as it and, and sort of inexcusable as it sounds, there are times when, you know, as leaders, you have blinders on, you're not looking You have a position that opens up, and you start look. You you go right into sort of reflexive mode. Well, we get the job description posted, and we go looking, and we take resumes, and you're not. You don't stop and pause and say, "Who here would be awesome for that?" And who might I approach, or who would I? How do I create space for that? So sometimes just being proactive as um, as a member of a team, just to say, you know, I I I'd love to work toward this. The other thing you'll know, and when the light bulb doesn't go off or you're sort of shut down as I was some years ago, that's telling, right? Um, and that'll, that'll also be really useful as information for you about maybe if there's a chance for you to move to another kind of position within your organization so you can get some oxygen to grow, or maybe you need to think about a, a different organization. Um, but that, that will, either case, you'll get instructive feedback.
1: Yeah, I think I'd echo um, that looking for, uh, I was looking for for opportunities to, um, to demonstrate that you want to be a leader and that you've gained leadership skills a- along the way. Um, I was talking about this panel yesterday to Rebecca Martin, who I think is here, the executive producer at YR Media, and she was saying um, that looking for a place where you can stretch um, and and knowing that 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 assignment that you take on might be extra time that's more than you're used to working um, for a period of time, you, you are going to be stretching yourself, and it might not be the thing that you're like super passionate about. Um, that you that you want to that you want to see that person get from no yes. And I think um, that it's sort of like leading with positivity even in a project that like might not be the thing that you're burning to do. Um, but just taking it on both to to demonstrate to your boss that you that you want to go in that direction and then as a test for yourself and I think just generally kind of when asking this question about like do I want to move into a leadership role one way to do it is inside your organization um, and taking on that new or extra project Um, but also I feel like throughout my career uh, ever since the youth radio days I always had a side hustle sometimes that side hustle was like an actual other job where I worked six days a week and i wouldn't necessarily recommend that, um, but but having side hustles that were like a little off from my main job, but allowed me to follow a passion, and then also to figure out what aspects of this role that I'm not required to do in my nine to five are the things that stimulate me and are the things I kind of want to lean into further. And I think. Some, not all, of the side hustles that I had ended up taking me further down that leadership path and going back to those things, like envisioning the mission and how we grow as an organization, they definitely felt fulfilling in a way that was like, I want more of this. Um, So so the side hustle as a litmus test is, I think, a good way to think about it.
0: Okay, thanks for this panel. Um, I have sort of a basic, like, proactive strategy, but sometimes also reactive strategy question, which is when
3: you have, you know, the industry is getting lots of new attention. You have producers moving into leadership roles in organizations that don't necessarily have like a native understanding of the industry. Sometimes you're interacting with departments or superiors
0: or sort of like adjacent superiors that might be making choices that aren't setting up your own team for success. So how would you approach either proactively or reactively holding those conversations with people, with your own manager, with or how to help them you know, bat for you in other conversations when you know that it could actually help your team do better.
1: Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, you wanna go? No, go right.
0: ahead. Um, so I think all of what you're speaking to is a tension that exists right now, um, particularly in the world of podcasting, between what I'd call kind of creative and editorial side drivers and, and business side drivers. Um, and we deal with it. Um, uh, and are running into the challenges of it right now, um, and I think the one thing that we have started is we've started actually in the in the our podcast team. We actually have a cross-functional team meeting where everybody's around the table. So legal's there, and marketing's there, and and um, sales is there, and 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 obviously the editorial team. Um, And creating space to surface issues and questions and priorities um, and to make sure that we're setting goals and we're having conversations about the strategic direction and the operational questions in in a shared space where there's an opportunity to have um, tough conversations and agreement there, that's been one useful thing. I will also say just at the more practical level, um, I, uh, Oftentimes, I'll enter a conversation with somebody. It may be a, a peer, um, you know, in the different... Say, I'll acknowledge what... Try to think about what what's important to them. So for the sales folks, look, I know they've got big sales goals, and 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 I'll acknowledge that straight up, and that that I know you want to succeed, and I want you to succeed. And I know that, you know, it's important for you that... That we have X, Y, and Z, but I want to share with you what's important for us, too, and that we can't have those goals get in the way of, you know, the quality work and blah, 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 and, you know, hitting your deadlines on a project that's unfolding in real time with investigative work that's hard to predict and understand. Um, is really constraining and it's actually going to undermine the quality of, of what we ultimately produce, which is not good for you. So we both have, you know, vested interest in making the very best thing we possibly can in the best possible way. How can we do that together? You know, like, so it's it's in some, it's thinking about what are the needs and objectives and goals of the other person, not impugning or assuming, but but thinking about that, acknowledging a reality and then articulating what's really fundamentally important to you and your team, and then looking for space where recognizing those two things, there may be areas for problem solving and surfacing. That's what I would say writ large.
1: Yeah, yeah. what you describe is super frustrating, Um, especially when you see it kind of codifying the ways that you're approaching the work over time and it becomes part of the company's approach and then it feels too late to change anything. Um, I think that one maybe softer tactic um, is, to try to to frame uh, the sort of cross-departmental uh, education that happens as just that as education. So it, it's easier when you have like a small win, like a first day spike in downloads, and for instance, and you take that moment to say, hey, like, just want to alert everybody how to win and and that using that to do a little bit of a case study that you can like do in like Marketplace we used to do, this is a little different but it was like how I do my job, brown bag lunches and it was like casual, informal, no pressure, come if you want but you always learned really interesting things about the way the person got their job done that was particular to their expertise um, and it was a great way to learn about colleagues and similarly, I think small wins like that, like setting up a 15-minute stand-up that's like, let's just talk, like, I've got a couple slides, we saw a big first day spike, here are the five things that I think contributed to it, and inviting people from other departments, so it starts to become this collective knowledge that gets disseminated and hopefully can um, address and, like, inform, like, future strategic thinking. Doesn't always happen, but it is a way to start doing that in smaller pieces. Hey, thanks for
3: this, this has been uh, super helpful. Um, I have a question more on the content side. Um, so um, when you're trying to develop a new show or a slate of new shows, particularly at a new environment that may or may not have podcasts or radio um, stuff, um, how do you how do you make sure that the stuff that you're developing is good or successful, however you may determine that, um, while being stretched thin? Uh, you know, where, where on the spectrum do you feel like you need to land? And if you have, like, any specific examples, like, I would be particularly interested in hearing those.
1: The challenge in the piloting process that I talked about, um, so, you know, there are these different stages of piloting a show. And there is the question of how much resource can we even put into the piloting process? Because inherently, it's only going to provide a limited example of how good something can be over time over maturation with audience feedback Um, and so I, i try to benchmark against other things we've done that are similar so if x conversation show got to x downloads after so long and even before that if in the pilot process there were two producers working on it one who had narrative expertise and one who was a great sound designer and they came up with this in two weeks Like, let's benchmark against that. And so, you know, trying to base what we do going forward on the experiences we've just had building something um, is is one way um, when you're stretched thin. Um, And I I do think, like, having, especially in places where um, it's not a podcast-native shop or an audio-native shop, having a focus group to give feedback outside of that core group of producers is important, um, and it can be challenging because the feedback can sting coming from people who you might not feel like, what do you know about this, what are the audio experts? But, I mean, it's the most true reflection of, or it's, it's one reflection of a non-podcast audience that you're gonna get right away from people who really know the organization, and so I think building into any pilot process that round of feedback that's not that's the people outside of the team that worked on it, is important. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, do you want to add?
0: Um, I would say the the single most important thing um, from my perspective around that question is being as clear as you possibly can at the front end of the project mm-hmm. about what's expected. And I think where I've made... Um, my biggest mistakes in this area um, is when that hasn't been clear, um, and it's it's tough. I don't get it right all the time. I mean, there are folks here, I'm sure, who would, who could speak to the, to examples of that. Um, but try, if the clearer you are at the beginning, then you can provide more freedom and for folks to create where you don't have to be involved at every single moment of that process. Um, that's that's I think probably the one thing I would just add to what. The show
2: this is a super interesting conversation, sort of especially on the heels of the the morning conversation about workplaces and power. Uh and the idea that, you know, it really is interesting to think about leadership as being in positions of power. And uh I think, you know, a lot of times we can make decisions based on, you know, spreadsheets on downloads on did we made our fundraising goals? And then you can know oh, it's an easy to make a decision, you know. This medical goal, it didn't and A lot of times when people at the top of organizations are often very removed from the people most impacted by those decisions. And I'm curious, in what ways do you think about, you know, how how do you make sure that the decisions you're making for your organization are the right ones? Are they fair? How do you kind of check yourself?
0: Well, I just wanted to jump in because it relates to something I said in, in passing. First of all, I believe leadership um, fundamentally is a service act. And it's, it's, it's an act of... Um, of, if, if we're approaching it the right way, um, service to others on, on a team, and that every single person in this room has been trained in two fundamental skills that you can apply to be absolutely effective leaders, um, and that I think are often under-applied in every organizational leadership context, and that is active listening and asking questions. Um, that if you bring a reporter's mindset and a producer's ear to your work as a leader, um, you will do a couple of things. One, um, you will form deeper relationships in important, meaningful ways. um, Better understanding the needs and challenges and desires of others on their existing projects and as we talked about earlier, as it relates to the course of their own career development. The second thing is that you will learn um, where the pressure points and pivot points are on a particular project, you will gain essential information. Both of those are critical to informing the decision-making process about you know, stopping one thing, starting something else, adding resources, pivoting, et cetera. So I don't have a perfect answer to your precise payoff question, but I would say, if I could leave with with one thought here, um, and that is that all of us, myself included, can can and should continue to nurture and develop more um, the core skills around questioning and listening that are endemic to great reporting and, and great producing in service of getting to know our people, getting to know the problems and challenges and opportunities And um, if you can do that, you will be so much better positioned as a leader to make effective decisions, not decisions that everyone will love and agree with always, but decisions that hopefully um, can be informed by realities and not just guessing or supposition
1: or whims. I think that's perfect. And we're probably at time. So thanks so much for the question.
0: Thanks, everyone.